and good morning. We are uh, getting ready to start a new series. Uh, it's going to be called The Power to Follow, uh, and in it we're going to be taking a look at the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to talk uh, about who the Holy Spirit is next week, what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, after that, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then um, if you've ever wondered the difference between the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, uh, we're going to talk about that as well in the coming weeks. And then this summer, we're going to get into uh, kind of um, a, a series through a book, uh, the book of James. James is Jesus' brother. And uh, if you're like kind of a, a real practical person, if you like the book of Proverbs, uh, you'll probably like the book of James. James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. And, and James is just really direct. Uh, he, he's not going to give you like a whole lot of like common sense. This is how you should live life type of proverb or, or direct advice. But he's, he, what he, James does is he's just going to say, this is what it looks like to live like a Christian. Uh, and, and so um, I hope you're interested in all of these topics as we get into them um, over the next uh, several weeks and uh, leading into the summer. Uh, to start off this morning, I want to ask you a question. Uh, how long will you wait on someone? How long will you wait? Uh, <laughs> Ten minutes? All right. Yeah, anybody kind of impatient? Uh, in undergrad, we had this rule. I don't know who made up the rule, but I think you gave uh, like 10 minutes uh, for a professor. If you showed up and sat in the classroom, a professor would get 10 minutes. If you had doctor in front of your name, you got 15. Uh, and so what you discovered is that kind of um, the importance, the perceived importance of that person determined uh, how long you would wait for that person. Uh, I've discovered kind of, um, I've just known this, right? I, I lived in a house where my mom uh, never came out to the car, like when we were ready to go. And so uh, that's always just kind of, I've struggled with that, but unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble here. Um, my brothers say this. <laughs> uh, my brothers tell me that I married my mom. Uh, and, and so, like, I will... I will wait out in the car occasionally, and um, rightfully so, because my wife does a bulk of the work for our kids, uh, but we'll be waiting out in the car for our kids kind of to go somewhere, and I'm like a prompt person. I want to be there. Like, 10 minutes early is on time to me. Um, like, 10 to 20 minutes late is on time for Emily. <laughs> And, and so, uh, you know, I've sat, like, in the car kind of waiting to go, and every once in a while I'll play this game with her, where as she kind of comes out, I'll pull out, and she'll kind of chase me for a little while down the neighborhood. I, yeah, I, I don't really do that anymore. Um, I, Emily hates it, um, and I've discovered that because she'll get in the car, and uh, if you've talked to my wife, you'll notice she's, she's from the South. Her accent isn't as thick as what it used to be, um, but that kind of cute accent uh, that I thought was cute right when we first got married, it gets a lot thicker when she gets mad, <laughs> and, and so um, she uses her cowboy voice, as some of the kids call it back in the children's wing. They say, Emily sounds like a cowboy. Well, that's because she's from the South. Um, and, and it gets really thick uh, at that point in time, and I know that she's really mad. And uh, besides, the kids start crying when I do that because they like their mom a lot better than they like me, um, and they think we're going to leave her behind. Uh, well, as we get into the series on the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is we're going to look at the book of Acts because Acts kind of is uh, the start to Jesus having, sending the Holy Spirit to be kind of an ever-present reality in our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Acts, uh, beginning in chapter 1. 
And Acts is the book that follows the Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are books about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then what follows is this book of Acts. And Acts is basically kind of a narrative about the Holy Spirit moving through the early church and the church actually getting started. And so it's kind of that narrative of how the church starts. And if you open your Bibles, what you'll notice is kind of probably um, the title. It'll say probably Acts really big, but it'll probably say like, Acts of the Apostles. As you read commentaries and talk to professors and read through the book of Acts, though, a lot of people will probably just tell you um, they would have rather the book have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because what we see is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the whole process and he's the one who is really inspiring the apostles to do everything that they do and the Holy Spirit is at the center of the church itself as it gets started and begins to grow. And so as you've got your Bibles out, we're going to look at the very start, the beginning of Acts here and kind of introduce us uh, to the Holy Spirit this morning. And so Luke writes this, and he says this in the first book, O Theophilus, and I'm just going to stop right there and kind of point out this name. Now this name is really interesting. Uh, Luke in his gospel writes to this man named Theophilus, and in the book of Acts he writes to this man named Theophilus. Now that name means dear to God. And so most people, we, we don't really know, like, if this is an actual person or if, this is, if Luke is just basically writing to basically kind of all people in Rome who are interested in what it means uh, to follow Jesus. Or in the gospel, um, he's writing so that he can basically give an account, like a history, of this is what Jesus did, this is who he was, and if you want to know about Jesus, here's kind of the, 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 the history that is recorded. And so it's kind of a general book to everybody, although it could be written to anybody whom Luke calls is basically dear to God. And so he's writing to anybody who's interested in Christianity here, and he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, he's talking about his first book in Luke, until the day that he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, right there, what we are told is that the Gospels talk about Jesus' resurrection and what Acts is going to talk about. It's going to talk about what happens after Jesus goes to be with the Father, after he ascends here. And he said, so he had written about everything that Jesus had done, and now he's going to write about the works of the apostles. Now, the apostles are these people who have written, by the way, or influenced the writing of the New Testament books. To, when you read your New Testament, what you're reading is you're reading a recording of uh, a text that has been guided by the apostles. And so Luke, although he was an apostle, he was a doctor who was interested in history and recording history, were good friends with the apostles. And so he recorded the stories. He recorded what happened. And what we're told here is that these apostles who spent time personally with Christ, who knew him personally, were guided by the Holy Spirit. And what they are going to do is they are going to kind of guide this church. Now, I know what you're asking, all right? What's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Now, somebody was asking that because they get asked that all the time. And so here's, what I, here's, here's how we're going to do this. A disciple is simply somebody who has decided to follow Jesus. And so like kind of our theme for this year, and this is the idea behind the power of follower, is that we are all disciples. Once you decide to follow Jesus and learn about Jesus and make Jesus the Lord of your life, we are all disciples. We are all followers of Jesus. And what Jesus did while he was alive, he went and chose seven disciples, or seven, excuse me, i got to get my numbers right, 12 disciples, 
that we're going to live with him, be with him, pretty much with him all the time, um, and that he was going to teach even more intimately than he did the crowds. These 12 eventually become apostles, and these 12 are going to be given authority over the church, and they're going to be guided by the Holy Spirit in a special way with this authority. Now, apostle means messenger, and so they are going to be messengers. And so most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time when the New Testament is talking about apostles, it's talking about one of the original 11 that were with Jesus because Judas betrayed Jesus and then he went and hung himself, plus Paul, who had an experience with Jesus where he met Jesus on the road to, to Damascus, right? Are, are we clear? Everybody knows the difference between a disciple and an apostle. A disciple, you're a disciple, right? You are not necessarily an apostle with the same type of authority that these men are and have. And so when we read the scriptures, by the way, we're reading kind of from the authority, not only of the Holy Spirit, but from the authority that the apostles had during that time. So verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Another uh, common mistake that people make is Jesus didn't rise from the grave and disappear. He didn't. When Jesus rose from the grave, he spent 40 days walking around, talking, eating, laughing with people, being with people, uh, even performing some miracles with, with, with people so that they could see. This is, this is one of the reasons that we believe that the resurrection is true. It, it's, it's not just something that is a spiritual reality, not that spiritual realities are untrue. We're going to talk about that today. But it's a physical reality. What we have in 1 Corinthians 15 is we have a guy named Paul, and he's reminding people in the Corinthian church that Jesus had spent time with over 500 people after he rose from the dead. In 1 John, what we are told, as he, or what the people are told, as he writes to them, he tells them, he says, don't give up hope. Don't you remember that you spent time with Jesus after the resurrection? He says, you've seen, you saw him, you walked with him, you talked with him, you were with him. And, and here, it, it, once again, Luke is reminding these people that Jesus stuck around and he did many proofs with them, that he had been with them. And so this should be a reminder that our hope is, is rooted in a historical reality here. And so he's telling them, remember that this took place now, verse 4, he says, Now, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what Jesus tells them to do after he spends 40 days with him, them and before he ascends up into heaven um, to be with the Father, what Jesus tells them is that you need to wait. And he's going to tell them, he's going to ask them to wait. He doesn't actually give them the number of days, but they're going to wait for 10 days, right? I don't know about you, but not many days from now seems maybe like two. Um, I may have, may have bolted after that. Uh, but they're, they're going to wait for 10 days, and they're going to wait for the power of God here. Now, we're going to talk about what, the, what, what took place on these 10 days later on in, in this series, but we know it's Pentecost, um, and so on, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on this, on this people there. Now, they're going to be waiting on the Holy Spirit. And so today is just going to be kind of a lot of teaching on what the Holy Spirit is and who he is. We know that the Holy Spirit is extremely important. Jesus talked about him throughout his ministry. And 
That's who Jesus asked them to wait 10 days for. So let's jump into this. What are they waiting on? What are they waiting on when Jesus says to wait for the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at the Holy Spirit's name. Names are important in the Bible. Um, in, in a lot of cases, names have a lot of meaning. And you know this even in your own kids. Many of you name kids maybe after people that are important to you. And maybe you hope they take on their traits or they, you hope that they remind you of that person or you hope they, they kind of become that sort of person that you want them to be. Well, in the Bible, we see that people's names make a difference. And in, in fact, sometimes people's names are even changed. Jesus called Simon, Simon Peter, and he referred to him more often as Peter because on Peter, basically, the, the church was going to be built, and Peter meant rock. And so what Jesus was trying to say is, is the church is going to be built on a strong foundation, Peter, and on your teaching and on the apostles' teaching. Jesus' name itself means saves. means he who saves, right? And I already kind of pointed out Theophilus here, dear to God. So there's a lot in this name, and some of this is going to sound really elementary as I teach this to you, but we need to understand what it means for us to call the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit gets two names, so the Holy Spirit is obviously from the South, um, like my wife would say, like Jim Bob, Mary Ann, and all those sorts of things. So let's just take a look at this. First off, the Holy Spirit is holy, right? Thanks for telling me that, Pastor. The Holy Spirit is holy. What this means is that the Holy Spirit is perfect in character, right? Holiness is not just an attribute of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holy. The Holy Spirit is perfect. It's who he is, and he doesn't change. The Holy Spirit is always consistent. The Holy Spirit is always kind. It's always loving. He's always just. He's always full of truth. He's always full of grace. Now, I know that you have been around people who claim to be Holy Spirit people, and they are inconsistent, and they are unloving, they are unjust, they are crazy, they are weird, you, you, you know, you can't stand to be around them or any of those things. Well, I just want to tell you, right, people are inconsistent, people are crazy, people are weird, people are unjust, people are unloving, but the Holy Spirit isn't, all right? The Holy Spirit will never cause anybody to sin. The Holy Spirit will always act like God. The Holy Spirit will always reveal itself in the way that Jesus has revealed itself, full of grace, full of truth, full of justice, full of mercy. He will always behave with moral perfection. So the Holy Spirit is holy. Second thing you need to know is that the Holy Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. Second question you've asked me already during this sermon that I'm going to answer for you. You guys are really good at asking questions. Why do you call it Holy Spirit, Josh, instead of Holy Ghost? Some of you had this question, not all of you. Um, but I know that some of you have this question because I used to go on this show quite often. I haven't been on it in a long time um, called Ask the Pastor. And they have it on Mondays, and I take Mondays off now, and I try to Sabbath. Um, and, and so on the show, we would often get asked, like, hey, Josh, why do they call it— why, why do some people call it the Holy Spirit and other people call it the Holy Ghost? And I used to get um, kind of really upset at some of the other pastors on the show because they made this into sort of some kind of riddle um, or some kind of like thing that needed to be solved or some real complicated uh, conspiracy that's in the Bible or that the translators have come up with. But it's really quite simple, right? It, it really is. 
So if you call it Holy Ghost, you probably grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible. And in the King James Version of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is translated Holy Ghost. Well, here's what you need to know. Is that, is that language evolves, right? Language changes. And so the, 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 the word has not changed. But your words have, right? They have. Languages, languages change. And so let me give you an example of this. If, if I say that Brian here is cool right now, what would you think about Brian? You think he's awesome. Now, walk back about 100 years. And if I say Brian is cool, what are you going to think about Brian? He's cold. Get him a coat, right? Uh, and, and so the King James Version of the Bible was written 400 years ago. So, ghost, 400 years ago, meant an immaterial being. I mean, like, it, it, so, you didn't necessarily think of, when you thought of ghosts, you didn't really think of like, some spooky person like, in your house or in the church when the lights are out, um, but rather you just kind of thought of maybe some force or some power or some immaterial being. And spirit, on the other hand, was kind of that spooky person that you wanted to stay away with from or, or that scared you. And, and so now in modern times, what does ghost mean? It means that spooky person, right? Just turn on Scooby-Doo. Right? Roast, Shaggy! Right? Like, you, <laughs> you, you, that, that's, that's what ghost means. Where spirit may mean that, but more likely than not, you're thinking of some type of immaterial force or power or, or being. And so... That's, that's kind of the bottom line. That's the difference. And, and really, for us, spirit is a much better translation. And so if you get like these like, kind of crazy theories and stuff, there's, there's no crazy theory out there. It's, it's just the way that the translators now have decided to translate these two words. The first one is ruach. And it's the word for spirit that we see in the Old Testament. Now, ruach means breath or wind. And so this is the word that God has used to describe himself in the Holy Spirit, that he's like a breath or wind. And so we see it immediately in Genesis 1-2, uh, where God is um, getting ready to create the heavens and the earth. It says, in the beginning, God, who created the heavens and the earth. And then, and then it says, the Spirit of God is hovering over uh, basically the formless earth. And what we are told then is God speaks, and as his breath comes upon the earth like this kind of chaotic um, thing that is out there, all of a sudden order starts to come to it as God breathes on it. In Ezekiel 37, what we see is almost a play on words because God is saying that he's going to send his spirit and as he breathes on his people, that his people are going to come to life and that they are going to change. In the New Testament, Right, this is actually really neat because this is one of the, like, the Hebrew doesn't always translate into the Greek. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, and what we discover in the Greek is they use this word pneuma, and it basically has the same definition, is that the Spirit is both breath and wind here. And as God breathes and as God moves on people, people come to life. Now, for some of you who just kind of can't imagine how something can, that, that can't exist that's immaterial. I just want you to tell, I just want to tell you, just because you can't see it or touch it does not mean that it's not real, right? 
And this is, this is why these words, too, I think, help us understand who the Spirit is. The other day, I was out, and I was sitting um, out on the, the back deck with my daughter, and I'm just, thank God it's nice out right now. And I was talking to her, and as I was talking to her, and she was jumbling with her two-year words to, two-year-old words to me, like her hair was like blowing in her face because the, the, the wind was to her back. And so all of a sudden she realized, like if I turn my face to the wind, my hair will blow behind me. I have no idea what that's like anymore, but it probably feels pretty good. <laughs> and I asked her, I, I just asked, I said, Evelyn, what is that? And she said, it's wind. Like she knew, although she could not see it, that it existed. Like, just because something is immaterial doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and doesn't mean that it doesn't have power. Even the words right now that I'm speaking are immaterial. Your words are immaterial. The, the material bring your words about as your voice box vibrates. But what it does is then it sends an immaterial force so other people can hear this immaterial force and then they can use their thoughts which are immaterial to discern what you are saying to them. And to be honest, you know that this immaterial reality that is spoken to you and then thought through you has the ability to change your hearts and your minds as you listen to people or as you speak into people. And it's actually the immaterial that changes the material. And so this is what God is getting at when he says that he is Holy Spirit, that the holiness of God as he speaks to you through, in his character, he is able to change you as he moves in your life. So that is what the Holy Spirit is. Now I'm going to answer a question for you. Who is the Holy Spirit? Here's the first thing that you need to know. Is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a God. He's not a force. He's not a power. He's not a feeling. Although he may manifest himself in a force, a power, a feeling. The Holy Spirit himself is God himself. He's God. In Acts 5, we're shown this. I'm going to give you a little background on this because if you just read this, you're like, whoa. In Acts 5, what we have is we have the church starting. And we have a bunch of people that have been called together to start the church and to build the church and call people into the church and be sent out to plant other churches. And what has happened is the Holy Spirit is moving in the book of Acts. And so all of these people, they come together and they have decided through the guidance of the Holy Spirit as individuals to come together as a collective group and to give generously to start this church. And so Ananias is one of these people. And what we know about Ananias is he must have told this group of people, I'm going to sell these things off and I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give it all at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But here's what we're told happens here. And this is in Acts 5, starting in verse 3. Peter said, he's, so he's confronted by Peter, who was Jesus' right-hand man. He says, Ananias, he said, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. So what we can discern here is that the Holy Spirit prompted Ananias uh, to give all of what he was going to sell for this property to the church. But Peter's reminding him that, that you didn't have to do this. This was not something that, I was, that, that you were forced to do. This is something that you responded to and said yes to through the Holy Spirit here. And then he says, after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. So how could you do a thing like this? In other words, Ananias had changed his mind and he didn't let anybody know. And he pretended, by the way, that he had given the full amount and that he hadn't kept any back or hidden any. 
And he says, you weren't lying to us. He says, you weren't lying to, church, to the church and the people in the church, although he was. Uh, but Peter's trying to make a point here. He's saying you were lying to God. So two things to point out. One is that the church belongs to God. Right? So anybody who tells you, that's, that's, by the way, kind of like our own tradition, why we're just called the church of God. Like we, we believe that we have been brought together by God and God's church is important to him. Right? So anybody tells you like the, the church and collective group of people coming together is not a good thing, well, what we're shown here is the exact opposite, is that God loves his church and the church is God's representative to the world. But what I'm pointing out to you to our purposes here is that Peter is pointing out that you, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you actually lie to God himself here. And so what we're told is that the Holy Spirit is God. Give you another example of this. Last week, uh, we baptized three people. When we baptized them, what did I say? I baptized you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, didn't I? Well, where did I get that from? Let me show you. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, make followers of Jesus from everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. In A.W. Tozer's book, um, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, um, he said, try just doing this. He said, try, uh, try this in your head. Say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Pastor Josh. Right? Or, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Apostle Paul. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Brenda. Why does that sound weird? Right? It, it, it sounds weird because you are, you are putting people on the same level as the Father and the Son. Like you, you're putting them in that same place as God himself. And so anybody who comes knocking on your door and tries to tell you that the Holy Spirit is not God himself or not equal with God, all right, Use that. Go ahead. Like, you, you can do that. The, whole, the Holy Spirit is, is, is God. Now, what that means is that God's people are Holy Spirit people. God's people are Holy Spirit people. Right? To be full of God, you have to be full of the Holy Spirit. And, and that is kind of one of the purposes behind this, this series, right? I'm going to explain to you in the coming weeks of why I'm kind of even afraid of this series. Right? But some of you, you may kind of be afraid of being Holy Spirit people because you just don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. But the truth is, is you can't be a godly person without the Holy Spirit indwelling you and guiding you. If you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, I want to read to you what A.W. Tozer has to say about this. He says, The Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. For Jesus was God and the Spirit is God. And the Father is exactly like the Son. And you can know what Jesus is like by knowing what the Father is like. And you can know what the Spirit is like by knowing what Jesus is like. They're not different. They're, this, they're all alike. They're all alike. They're just the three different persons of the Trinity here. So Holy Spirit people are godly people. So the Holy Spirit is God. The second thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is personal. So what this means is that the Holy Spirit is a person. I already messed up in this sermon, right? And you'll do it too at times. Um, because you'll have this proclivity to call the Holy Spirit an it, right? Instead of a he. 
Well, the Holy Spirit isn't in it, it's in he. And this is important because this will determine in the way that you interact with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you a passage that, sh- that, that kind of shows us this reality. Now, there are a bunch of passages that I could have used in the New Testament to show you, but I'm just going to give you one in John 15, 26. And Jesus is talking about sending the Holy Spirit. He says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, circle this, it says, He will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. Now, again, how can the immaterial, the breath, or wind of God actually be a person? Right? How can the immaterial be a person? Well, the same way that you are, to a certain extent. Got this? If I were to ask you to describe yourself, how would you describe yourself to me? Right? Some of you are going to start off, you're going to start off, I'm um, uh, five foot nine, eight and a half, right? give you away all those sorts of things 40 time right so you're going to you might describe yourself in that way but if you begin to describe yourself in that way I'm going to begin to push back a little bit and I'm going to continue to ask no like who are you like what do you what are you like? like how do you feel about things like what's your personality like and then you're going to be actually actually begin to start describing your personality like your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, all of those sorts of things. And then I'm going to start to discover the real you. Like you, you know that that's the real you. And so what happens with your personality, right, is your personality, again, is immaterial, it, but it expresses itself through the material. It, is, it expresses itself through your body. Well, in the same way, the spirit is immaterial, but it expresses itself, and it's able to express himself, right? So the immaterial is not the absence of personality, and we know that the Holy Spirit has a personality. In the scriptures, we see that the Holy Spirit has insight. He has knowledge. He has a will, and he even grieves. I told you this is important, because seeing the Holy Spirit, not as an it, but as an he, or not as a something, but as a somebody, is going to determine the way that you interact with him. When you see the Holy Spirit as a person, you will begin to want to begin to have a relationship with him, to invite him into your life, to want to hear from him, to speak to him, to be with him. You You need to see that he's a person so that that will take place. Not only do you need to see that he's a person so that will take place, but you need to know that he's not only a person, but that he's God, and so you need to know these things so that you react to him in the proper manner. This means that when we are interacting and we are having this experience with the Holy Spirit, that we are not equal. That when the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives, our lives are to be yielded to him. They are to be given to him as we are in this relationship with him. If you don't do that, you're not in the proper relationship with the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit speaks, and when he moves, and when he's ready to change you, you say, here I am. Here I am, as you yield your life to him. I want to kind of conclude this service and this message with this, after I've kind of taught you a little bit of 
what the Holy Spirit is and who he is. Here's what I want you to know about the Holy Spirit as we kind of move forward. And we're going to talk about kind of what this looks like over the coming weeks. But here's what you need to know, is that the Holy Spirit is meant to be experienced. He's, he's, he's meant to be experienced. And what I hope is over the next several weeks is, is that you will come, and even in this moment, right, if the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life or if he's been working on you, that you will commit to experiencing him, that you will commit to becoming more aware of his presence, that you will commit to becoming more aware of his power, and you'll be commit to responding to him. The image I kind of had in my head for all of you and all of us is just kind of the sailboat right, in the wind, as God breathes life into church and breathes life into you and begins to speak to you that you're just like a sailboat with open sails and you allow God to do what he's going to do in your life as you hope to become more aware of his presence and his power. This is, this is what Jesus has wants for us. This is what Jesus wants for his church, and this is what Jesus says is going to empower to church to do what the church is created to do, which is tell more people about Jesus so more people can be redeemed. And more people can spend eternity with the Lord. Look in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. One of the things that I've been trying to do, I've been telling kind of our leadership teams this, and I don't think I've shared this with the congregation is, um, you know, I've been trying to kind of spend more time allowing the messages even to become a reality in my life. Um, it can be really easy kind of to study and to put something together and deliver it um, and not allow it to soak in. Uh, but I recognize kind of last year that I've got to kind of not make sure I'm not doing that, uh, to be more aware of even in my own life that I am not doing that. Uh, I was going through probably up to six months leading up into the new year. Um, Emily and I were, were kind of struggling with some different things in our lives, and it was kind of, I wouldn't say a joyless season, it was just a difficult season, um, and the joy definitely wasn't flowing from us. Uh, And so kind of the idea behind that, the sermon series um, about joy was, I kind of needed to experience more of it myself, um, because I was struggling with it, and I I try not to uh, kind of solve my problems from the pulpit, that's sometimes a pretty bad idea, Uh, but I, I needed I needed it, and I needed it to sink into my life, and so I planned in my office by myself, like, hey, I'm going to do a series on joy following, starting Easter and following it. Well, my wife, who leads the women's study with Brittany, um, they too picked out a series um, on joy for the ladies that kind of started and ended about the same time. My wife and I did not coordinate on that. Like, I, I believe that the Spirit was just at work in our church, bringing those things together so that that people could come together and kind of be on the same page and lives could be changed in that way. I I believe that the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to change your lives and move in this church if you were open yourself up to him. I do not believe that this sermon series, by the way, which again, I didn't really look on the calendar to do this. The, the elders kept asking me to preach on the Holy Spirit, and I kind of pushed back on them. Again, I'll tell you why later. Um, but it, I moved other sermon series out of the way to put the Holy Spirit series right in here, right now, and here in two weeks on Pentecost, like I had just planned without looking, and I usually kind of look and try to do these things, and decided that I want to preach on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit during Pentecost, right? Some of you understand why that's significant. Our church, 
I, I believe our church is in a good place right now, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work, and he's moving, right? Attendance is okay today, um, but if we were to look back at the past eight weeks, um, even within the midst of our church, uh, the attendance has been about as good as it's been at least in over five years, about six years. I haven't had Brenda actually go uh, as far back. Uh, but, I, but I believe that we're having the opportunity to grow um, and that the Holy Spirit can do a new thing in our lives as he does this. Last week was, a wonderful, was just a wonderful testimony to, to how God is working in our church when we baptized two of the people that we baptized were young ladies who were overcoming addiction. And they got to share their testimony. What those two young ladies didn't know is that four guys came from a group of Life Changers last week. Life Changers is a ministry that helps men overcome addiction and strongholds. And they were here to get the witness, the testimonies of these, those two ladies being baptized and their testimonies of being one over 500 days clean, the other almost 300 days clean through the, through the help of the Holy Spirit and God working and their lives. Like, here's the truth, and here's the reality, is God is always at work. It's just, are we going to become aware of what he's doing and allow him to do something in us? And, and I hope that you will commit to that. I hope that you will commit being aware of his presence and being aware of his power. Here's how I want to respond today. I'm going to get you on your feet here in a second, because I'm going to ask that you come and you grab communion. Communion is a reminder that Jesus Christ came to be present with us, right? God wants to be present with you. He came in the flesh. Jesus died, and then he left us communion, the symbol of his presence with us, his broken flesh and his spilt blood. And contrary to kind of our own tradition, I like to think of this moment more like John Calvin does. And he treats it as a spiritual banquet. And, and what he says, and I believe there's a lot of truth in this, is that when we take communion and when we come together as a church, what the Holy Spirit does is he reminds us of our union with Christ. So if you are a Christ follower, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life at this time as you reflect properly on communion, is you're reminded that Christ is at work in you that Christ loves you, that Christ came to die for you, that Christ was raised from the grave for you, and that Jesus' spirit empowers you. And so as you come forward this morning, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask that Charlie come play, I'm just going to ask that you come forward with the awareness of the presence of God in your life and in this place and in you specifically. So here's how we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask that everybody come down the center aisle and then kind of flow back to their seats. As you come forward, the worship team is going to be playing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And so just be thinking about that. Be praying through that. If you want to pray at the altars, you can. If you want to be, give that time to the Lord, you can. After you get communion, go back to your seat. Let's go to the altars and then wait on me and we'll all take communion together. Let me pray for us. Father, your Holy Spirit is welcome here. So come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. 
to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Amen.